live from Baton Rouge. I'm pumped, man. I'm uh, here. I just landed a couple hours ago, so we are taping it down here in town again for Alabama and LSU. I'll probably go over some of that stuff in a little bit. I don't know that I have like sick prediction guy on this, but um, we got a lot of a lot of things that I kind of want to do, and, and we don't have any guests because Saruti is back. He is What's a up? husband now, yep. and I would like to talk a little bit about that. Hmm, okay. uh, so we'll do some hoops. I got some stuff on Jimmy Butler. The Derrick Rose thing's incredible. 50 points for him. little LSU-Bama. Um, I don't know. We're just going to let it flow on this one today. So what's up, man? How's it feel? No different. Uh, <laughs> same old dude, you know, just maybe a little bit more tan and uh, kind of, you know, is a rude awakening to come back to work, but I'm here. What's up? How long were you gone? Uh, I mean, I was gone for almost two and a half weeks. You got two and a half weeks for your honeymoon? Well, I mean, I took That's, you know, a couple of days m- off for the wedding before, and then we, yeah, the honeymoon was about two weeks, just, just short of that. Whoa. I know. Did you use all of your vacation for the year on your honeymoon? No, no. I've, you know, I've been here for a little bit. I've, uh, accrued some decent vacation. Oh, listen to you. <laughs> what up? do you get? <laughs> I think you... I get three, and I get like close to four, and then you can roll it over. What? I had more. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, it was I, I had four my last – well, I guess I still have another year. So, yeah, I mean, um, I've been here since 2011. I mean, come on. Yeah, but, dude, you're not on air. Well, I guess you are sort of. I'm yeah, but, kidding. I mean, there are I'm dudes here that aren't on air that have more vacation than I do that have, like, a whole month. They do? And they then, get – And then you can roll it over and get five. Yeah, I think Bubba, who we used to work with, <laughs> Bubba has, like, two months off, basically, because he's been here since he was, like, an intern in, like, the early 90s. I know somebody who's going to listen to me say you're not on air and think that's such a joke, but, but it's true. I remember. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't quite get the you know Van Pelt two months off in the summer type deal, but it's not well, too, that it's was not different because he had. I mean, he had days. He just his radio thing was no, different because he I had he had a certain number of days, and when he did those days, that was it. I was, well, then you, but your thing was weird because you would get you would do, you know you'd work what six seven days a week in the fall, so you'd accrue like weird days, so you'd have like a ton of time off. Well, you remember what happened that one year, though. So one year, I because I was not only getting an extra day because I was working Saturdays for game day, I would also get the Sunday day because I'd have to travel back. So I had a stretch where I think I worked forty something days in a row, or forty six, or some. It was it was some weird number, and so then that meant twice as many. So I had to take off seven weeks, but then I could really only take it off right after NBA free agency like the first summer i took off like right around july 4th i rented a house and and it was nba free agency when it was starting to go crazy like eight years ago and i I said i can't do this anymore i can't be off during free agency and then it was really cool because the numbers are usually always bad in july and august that's just radio 101 but a lot of our national numbers started doing really well in july because we were just a good show you know i'm into it that's my thing and we ended up doing good free agency numbers and then i would have to take off sometimes six weeks between the end or the middle of July to the beginning of August before college football started. And then I never really would take any time off again until that stretch. And I didn't mind it because that's like kind of my favorite time of the year to take all that time off. But then the next year there was a mistake made and they're like, no, you don't have any of those days. And then the year after that, they were like, oh, last year was a mistake. We were supposed to give you those days. And I was like, you guys can be kidding me. Classic. Classic. Sounds about right. Classic. Um, good thing I got over it though. But, uh, yeah, well, that's good, man. I'm, I'm so, um, I've caught a lot of heat for not going to the wedding. You and I have talked about it three or four times now. Yep. 
and I it was a good time. I will say. I mean, I heard it was great. Yeah, man, we were talking about with Smallman, and she uh, Smallman tore she, it up. Yeah, I think she gave me the most grief for it, but she had a great time. Back Small- up she had the claim that she was like the ultimate wedding date. Yeah, she was and, selling that for a while, and I I can't confirm that because I I was kind of busy the whole night because you were getting married. Yeah, yeah, but um, I I had people people like Smallman. My family likes Smallman. My sisters like Smallman. Like she was a big hit at the wedding for sure. Yeah, what's not to like about Smallman? You know, yeah. I I think I. I back that up. I mean, she started giving me a lot of grief, and I said, "If I go, I'm going to be in Connecticut for nine days, and I can't because I've, I've been gone so much, and I still have another stretch between this and then I'm going to Norman, Oklahoma, and then I'm doing something for the Ringer. We've decided collectively everybody's okay with it now um, that I will reference that I'm on the Ringer uh, okay, podcast okay. as well. <laughs> we're, we're okay with it now. Um, so you can check out Dual Thread on the Ringer. Uh, there you go uh, if you want, but. It's uh, I'm going to Vegas and doing this this thing there. So uh, I just I don't know, man. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about it enough. You know that I didn't prefer my preference was to not go to your wedding. It just was going to be nine days, and then I think I made up for it. We'll keep that between you and I. And uh, we we are good. You know who is a you know who is a, a big hit too? Actually, Will Kane. Well, Will was a bit. Well, yeah, Will was a big hit, but Adnan, big wedding guy. Adnan actually missed the ceremony. Um, I think his wife is also purpose? awesome too. No, this is what he told me because I saw him afterwards. And uh, his and wife is great. I love his. Awesome. I love his kids and everything. And uh, oh yeah, Yusuf's chatty. You know, but um, he's a chatty kid. But, but uh, I mean, look at his dad. But he goes to me because because I saw him right after the ceremony or right right before the right, right before the um the reception actually, and and he was like, hey, I got to be honest with you, like I missed the ceremony. I was like, oh whatever, dude, it's no big deal. I was like, what happened? He goes. Um, he's like, well, let me tell you this. This was his direct quote. He goes, at Brown weddings, like they don't actually start on time. So he thought it was like, you know, it started, I think, 430. So We're not we talking sh- the university. No, 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 right? no. Like okay. Brown, yeah. his direct quote, he said, Brown yeah. Brown weddings, referring to Brown people weddings, do not start on time, which I didn't know. So he showed up 45 minutes late thinking that he was fine. And uh, nope, because our ceremony was short. It was like 15 minutes. I didn't want to be there forever. I told. That sounds like you. Yeah. I mean, I told the uh, I told the official, like, I don't my my direct quote was, I don't want to throw my love in people's face. So we were trying to be in a short. You said that? I said that, yes. I wanted it as in short In front of your wife? Yeah, and she was cool with it, too. We didn't want to have this whole Boy, big thing where people were bored and you do like a half-hour reading. Because I was at a wedding where there was a reading in two different languages, and it just went on forever. Like, nobody wants that. Respect the other language, though. Seriously. Yeah, no, it was cool and uh, whatever, but it was just, it, I'm going to be honest, it was boring. So Adnan, you know, because our thing was so short, just missed the whole thing. But made up for it at the party, so that was good. Yeah, he. I could see him working well. I mean, that's why he's always going to have a long career. He'll be at ESPN thirty years if he wants to be, because he's just he's um, he's affable in a sincere way, you know. So I think a lot of the times is he just wants to know all the latest gossip at work. But I can see him. That's transi- probably part of it, yeah. right? But I can see him using those skills, those life skills, and transitioning that into just I'll be affable, fun, good follow up question guys, like guys that ask follow up questions when they're meeting new people. That's a really good habit to get into, even if you don't care, because most of us don't care. But if you can ask something that seems direct, specific as a follow-up when you're meeting somebody new, try that out this weekend. So that's my little that's my little help for you, my little tidbit for you this weekend. Try that one out. So you uh, went to uh, – oh, go ahead. I, I would say I tr- I'm bad at that. I, I, my biggest fear of this whole process was I do not like small talk. I, I don't – you know, like, and, and at weddings, you have to talk to, and we had over 200 people that came. So, you you know, obviously, I'm thankful everybody came. It was great. But, like, talking to that many people was literally my nightmare. Like, I just, I'm just not good at it. And Did you get drunk at your own wedding? No, I was, you know, I was, I was good, but I wasn't, like, hammered or anything. Yeah. Um, there were some people good, that got banged smile. up. There was, uh, we, we, 
We, had we two, don't have to sell anybody out. No, it's okay. My buddies will want you want to tell this story. We had we had a couple dudes puke on the bus home. Uh, oh, which yeah. wasn't which wasn't great. You guys are in your twenties, right? Uh, some of them are in their thirties. <laughs> okay. But yeah, no, actually, That's probably right. mostly thirties to be honest with you. Yeah, oh. I think I'm the youngest one. Yeah, but the young weddings, like I remember our young weddings, and we just treated it like it was a party. We're like, oh, that's congrats oh, yeah. on the wife. I mean, there part, was like, but, a like pot- we're together, yeah. and we're just gonna tear it up. Like, bottle of Maker's Mark, just people taking swigs past the bottle, big bottle too that Big Joe bought. Um, that didn't end. That didn't end well. So there was some puking on the bus that happened <laughs> later. Um, a couple people didn't show their face the next day. Really? Um, they skipped the brunch? Yep, they put skipped in the brunch. Yep, just didn't. Just, just shame I, I shot brunch? Me, shot me a text and just said, hey, dude, you know, not going to be able to make it down. Congrats on everything. So, no, it was a good party. It was good. That's good. I'm I'm happy for you. And then Maui, right? Maui and Kauai. Wow. Which it's was incredible uh, out there, right? It's pretty much, I think it's, uh, you know, of all the places you go in your life, if you're lucky enough to travel and you think about all the places that are talked up, like sometimes places can be just talked up too much. Everything's on expectations. Movies are expectations, right? If I show up, I'm like, hmm, usual suspects poster looks cool. Oh my God, Kaiser Sose, this blew me away. If somebody told me it was the greatest movie they'd ever seen, then maybe I don't feel the same way about it. That's just a story from my past. But for Maui, it's built up as big as anything, and then you go, and it it's awesome. I, I think, don't you feel like that whole Hawaiian island spirit thing? I know this sounds really cheesy. But it feels real once you're there, and you kind of get it a little bit more. Yeah, but I couldn't live there. I know a lot of people are like, oh, didn't you just want to stay forever? And I'm like, no, actually. Um, Why? Okay, all right. Anti-Maui. Yeah, no, no, no. Loved it. And I would go again as many – I hope to go as many times as I possibly can. It is amazing. But not for more than two weeks because I – I don't know, like, and we talked to a lot of like the, the locals there. And if you live there, and maybe you could probably do a year there and it'd be great. But like, any more than a year, like, you're you're friends. It's such a transient place where people move in, move out. You, you you don't know anyone for that long because people keep leaving. And I was talking to this one guy in Kauai specifically, which is like kind of the more um, remote island. Yeah. Like, if he wants to do anything, he has to fly somewhere. Like, if he like the coolest thing that happened there was like Bone Thugs and Bone Thugs and Harmony apparently came like a couple of months ago. Like they don't get concerts, they don't get anything cool. So if he wants to like go to an attraction or like do something different, he has to fly to a different island or fly to the mainland. And plus, I I couldn't be hot year round. I need seasons. Hmm. Bone Thugs, not enough for you. No, Bone Thugs. Well, I mean, listen, it would be you know temporary fix, but you know if that's the coolest attraction you're getting in town, like I'm gonna need something else. <laughs> With all due respect to the to, to the Bone Thugs. All right, that's fair. That's funny because somebody just brought up Bone Thugs and Harmony. Oh, I was down in Nashville for a bunch of days. Sarah Walsh, Matt Bushman, checking in on the twins, and he was he was playing me like old '90s rap. But see, he and I have a age gap, so every now and then, what he thinks is like high school formative years rap. I Wait, how old out. is he? Late he's thirty four. Oh, he's wow. young. He's yeah, he's a I hot thought. young guy. Oh my god, he's so he's like not that much older than I am. No, no, he's just that mature. Wow. But I wouldn't say you're immature, I, so I don't. No, no. but yeah, he's I'm, young. That's that just blew my mind. I thought he Bushman just stopped, was late thirties. No, he just stopped pitching too. Like he was in the minors for ten years. So yeah, like shout it. out to Vandy. Hung out down there. Nashville's a great town. Really fun town. Yeah, everybody um, apparently says that's the place to be. Yeah, I don't know how it became ranked number one in the world. That seems to be a high ranking, but people are on it. And I think the big thing is there's a lot of athletes and. Very Cavalry, obviously. Right. And then because there's an athlete push there to that people want to live there, there's no state tax, right? I think that's true. I think whatever the state tax thing is, you get around it. Hey, I've heard it's cheap to live there. Not that it's like, you know. Yeah, but the properties are, are through the roof because it became like this hipster thing the last five years. That So you've got the hipster element, you've got the music element, but you've got all these music people that actually still have houses there or have that as their, their base when they're not touring. 
Did you have see athletes. Jay? Did I see who? Cutler. I didn't see Jay Cutler. No, I wanted to go to Uncommon James oh, really bad and just start looking at the stuff and go, who labeled these? Shannon? Labels aren't very good. Um, and just start saying snide <laughs> things to see if anybody caught on. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Sarah's going to live there. I don't. And then I think they were filming, too. So they were like, yeah. if you go, they're going to think you're trying to get on the show. And I was like, I don't know if I would be trying to get on the show or maybe it'd be really funny that I came on the show. I don't know. I was going to say, did I see? Were you tweeting about Worth or was it on I Instagram? Did. I, yeah, Worth. I, is, I, I feel like you and Worth would, would hit it off. A lot of people don't know about Worth. I, I don't know. I, he seems... he's. He's definitely going to go after one of those girls at some point because, I mean, you don't just fly hot girls around on a private jet just because you're nice all the time. A good point. I, you know, so I he may be just laying in the weeds. That's that's what I think Worth's game is. But to this point, he seems pretty cool, seems good. Uh, people seem to like him better than musician guys on the show. But I, I didn't run into anybody, so and I never made it to Uncommon, ga- uh, Uncommon James because I didn't I didn't need any jewelry or any home goods because I've been, you know, I've been traveling. So that was a good part of the trip. Part two of the trip is is now here in Baton Rouge. And I actually think this is a good transition. Because I'm just going to do a few minutes on this, only because I I know I've told some of these stories before, but as you mentioned Maui, I think it's really similar in that whenever I mention Baton Rouge Saturday Night Football, and certainly for Bama and my first game coming here in 2008, and everybody goes, you just go to that game every year, huh? And I go, yeah, I, I do, because it I'm happy. I love it. It's the best. And as I've said you know, this is this is repetitive, but any friend that's never been that always thinks that they know or, you know, when I was up at Penn State and Penn State's crowd was awesome. I'm not knocking the whiteout. The whiteout was great. And then the Penn State folks going, you know, I've never seen anything like this, have you? And you go, well, I have, though. Actually. And it's, it's in Tiger Stadium. Well, you're and also like an adopted son of Baton Rouge, too. I get hooked up, okay? I mean, as soon as I got here, there was a van waiting for me from walk-ons. And the guy said, you know, I was like, look, just drop me off at the hotel and then I'll worry about me later and he goes no I'm, I'm supposed to not leave you while you're here the whole week so i was like well that's that's ridiculous About that um so yeah i've got a big party van uh and i'm just riding around baton rouge today solo in the party van i haven't even turned on the tvs i'm in the middle of reading the uh the murders of tupac and biggie i don't even know if i should talk about it too much considering i live in la now but i'm almost done with that book that was written by the lapd and lead investigator so i've been kind of locked into that uh but first I want to tell you about First Leaf. It's the only online wine club that uses your ratings to make personalized wine selections matched to your tastes. The only wine club tailored to you. So the more wine you taste and rate, the better they customize your box based on the wines you like. Limited time offer right now. When you sign up with my personal link, you get your three-pack of introductory wine for only $15 plus free shipping. If you then rate your first three wines, you'll get an extra $10 off your next box of wine. So when it comes to buying wine, most of our choices are made out of habit. We don't remember how we found our favorites. You know, you're like, oh, man, I remember even I had a call place after I had a dinner there years later, and it didn't work out. So this is part of the solution. We just know that when we're at checkout, those same brands and bottles are in our carts week after week. First Leaf is a new online wine club that's putting a stop to boring wine buying by helping you discover your new favorite wines. Every shipment is curated to your taste based on your ratings of the wine. So basically, here's what it happens. You're going to start by answering three quick questions about your wine drinking preferences. And then First Leaf creates an introductory three-pack of wine for you based on your favorite flavors. The best part is you'll get three for just $5 each. These wines should be about $20 a piece. So when the bottles arrive, you just taste it, fire them back, rate them online, or drink them responsibly. 
First Leaf took our ratings and then selected new wines for us on the show and based on the taste for the guys that are into it. Their experts are constantly exploring new wines for us to taste and rate. It's amazing how accurate they are at selecting the wines that all the guys that have used here at work. So after rating the first three, the next shipment comes in, and it's basically perfect. So it matches it up perfectly. And guys were saying that there wasn't, like, maybe there was one bottle that didn't make a lot of sense. Like, I've done some of the food stuff, and half the time they'll send food thing and be like, you know what, I didn't want to do vegan breakfast. Vegan Vegan is not as popular as vegan. Vegan breakfast burrito. So the shipments are only going to get better the more you keep drinking wine. So with First Leaf, you never have to worry about spending money on a bad bottle of wine. They guarantee you'll love the wine you buy or they'll give you your money back. So there you go. No problem. Tell the wife. Tell the missus. Tell the girlfriend. I don't know. Tell your roommate. You know, sometimes roommate situations aren't great. Invite some wine into the situation. And when you start ordering, they will figure out where your direction is going as far as your flavors, your taste, all that kind of stuff, right? So try First Leaf Wine Club today, where buying great wine is simple. Sign up with my personal link, and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. It's three bottles of wine for only $15, plus free shipping. That's not all. If you rate these three wines, you'll get an extra $10 off your next box. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Rosillo. That's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, two S's, two L's. That's tryfirstleaf slash, again, tryfirstleaf.com slash Rosillo. The first time I, I came down here was 2008, doing game day. It was my first year doing game day. It was Todd McShay. It was Trevor Maddich. And it was Saban's first game back. Okay, so he's back with Bama after Miami. And there's always this sort of regretful breakup in a way with Saban with LSU fans that feel like, all right, so we're watching this guy do this at our most hated rival in our division. And if he hadn't gone to the Dolphins, like there's a really good chance he could have just kept doing this here in Baton Rouge. And this, like it, it hurts. It hurts these people, even though, you know, Les was able to uh, to get him one and play in another national championship, right? So when I was here in 08, I didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, McShay's like, this place is nuts. And I go, okay, well, it's Louisiana. Louisiana is just a little bit different. And I've grown to really love the state after going through the early immature phase of going to New Orleans. And then after two days being like, I never want to come back here. It's, you know, it's doesn't do it for me. You get to start getting out, checking it out. The people are great. And then again, every other fan base that hears me say this stuff from other SEC schools say they're the worst. We get treated like crap there. And they're like, they're just nice to you. And that's fair. That's, that's totally accurate. I just, it just feels different. It feels like being in a foreign country. And as I tell every one of my friends, I go, the minute you land here from the minute you leave, all they want you to do is have the best possible time that you can have. And they just want you to appreciate it. It's the, the hospitality level is, is another just it's it's unbelievable. So the the funny thing is in 08, Jared Lee, quarterback then, he threw four picks in that game, including one in overtime. So they had blocked a 29 yard field goal by Bama to win the game. They block it, they go into overtime, and Lee throws his fourth pick of the game, and it's devastating. You know, because it was it wasn't just LSU Bama; it was a revenge game against Saban, who had left the program, and now ends up at Bama after the Dolphins thing for a couple of years, and. You know, Bam ends up kicking a field goal, winning it, and you're like, this was brutal. Because you should have won the game. You thought you were going to win the game. And then Lee, who just had an awful year that year with throwing all those pick six, um, you just think, oh, man, this place is going to be dead. And I turn to, you know, our guy Brandon Landry, who owns walk-ons, and I turn to McShay, and I go, oh, man, you know, this Saturday, this place is going to be dead tonight. And they just went, what? What do you mean dead? Like, it's, it's bad rouge. It's Saturday. Like, we're not... We're not going to have, and you would have thought they, and I've said this, I, I know too many times, but you would have thought they won the national championship that night. 
So that's kind of the mentality of this place down here. Now, LSU's had a weird run, and this whole this whole rivalry's been odd. I was in Tuscaloosa the last time LSU even won this game, and that's, what, that ridiculous 9-6 game where I actually thought Bama played better than them. LSU hasn't won here since 2010, uh, and I was that was a that was a touchdown game, but LSU's and I ran into Gary Danielson on the flight here from Atlanta, and we were talking about. It. He's like, "What do you think? What do you think?" And I think everybody just feels like Alabama's so incredible, but weird things happen here. And even though there have been so many games in the last three that have been here, where you go into it thinking Bama's going to win, well, Bama had to put together a last second touchdown with AJ McCarron. They called this great screen against a blitz, got it down the field. LSU was winning in that game. In 2014, when I was here four years ago, I thought there was no way LSU could win that game. That one ended up being an overtime game, another game. So LSU's been tied or had to lead in all of these games, and that includes the 10 nothing game that was boring as hell uh, just two years ago. So on paper going in, and I think even walking around here a little bit, you know, something special would have to happen, and sometimes some weird special stuff does happen here at night, and... We'll see. And this whole Tua needs to get hit thing, I keep running into a lot of people, like just being in airports, if somebody says, hey, and then they go, you know, what do you think? And then I'll say, oh, I'm going to this game. I've had this happen a handful of times in the last week or so leading up to this, being like, I just want to see Tua get hit. And my thing is like, I, I okay, he's going to get hit, then what? You know, sometimes people try to point out something that's that's not happening as a reason where I, why if it happens. Well, the reason he doesn't get hit that much is that they're awesome. And then he doesn't have to play the entire game. And they're killing teams. So I don't I don't think Tua is the kind of guy that if he gets hit twice in the first quarter, that now all of a sudden Alabama's a completely different team. I do think there are players like that. Like football players will tell you. And I think we've all watched enough football to know there's certain teams and certain personalities out there that they don't like it all the time. You know, Some quarterbacks don't like to get hit. But the whole just hit Tua problem solved, uh, that's, that's easier said than done. And even if you hit him, like I've said throughout, the kid's a Samoan. Like, what's he going to do? Be like, all right, I want to quit. Not into this. Put in Jalen. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is if Tua were to get hit and not play, oh, the SEC Offensive Player of the Year's freshman year who's only played in two national championships is back there. So, um, you know, I I want a competitive game. And the other thing, too, is that Bama fans uh, know this, and LSU fans hate it. I don't hate Bama. I don't. So even though I love this whole deal and coming down here and doing everything, I don't hate Bama, and my LSU friends hate that, I have like a Bama T-shirt at home, you know. I don't, I'm just, I wouldn't be rocking it, you know what I mean? Like I just have it because I have all this gear from all the years, and I've had a couple be like, "I'm gonna throw that away." Like I don't want you to have that shirt. And I was like, "Yeah, I just I respect Saban in Alabama too much, and they've actually been great to me when I've ever gone there too." So I don't, I don't hate them in that way, but I just, you know, I've been to all of these towns, and there's nothing like Baton Rouge. And I always say this to anybody growing up, little kid, if you're a baseball fan, that first time you saw the Green Monster in Fenway Park, you saw Wrigley when you walked in. You know, green is this dominant color when you're at Fenway. It's so impressionable when you're a little kid. Uh, same thing with the Cubs. It feels like this museum. I'd even say Yankee Stadium, for all the people that give it a hard time, I think the the Bronx on a Friday night when the Yankee Stadium's rocking and they're playing Biggie and they're, you know, back in the late 90s and they, everybody had their intro music and all this stuff. Like, that's a sick, sick atmosphere. Um, there's There's NBA places I've been that are great, but I don't know that it's like college football. Uh, I've never been to the Kansas City Chiefs, so I know that that's up there. I haven't been to Lambeau, and I know that is there. And, and wherever you're from and whatever your fan allegiance is, you're just going to rep the hell out of your place and say there's nothing like, you know, there's nothing like the Chiefs tailgate, and I, and I know that's what's going to happen. But if you like this stuff, if you like bucket list things, 
you have to make it to Baton Rouge for a night game. Two different NBA things that I want to do. The Derrick Rose 50-point game is incredible. And I was a little, and Saruti, I'm going to ask you something here, and I know that usually means I go for seven minutes, but I do think that there's something in social media, and it actually be kind of cool, even though it can feel a little repetitive, where NBA guys, if somebody does something kind of in their NBA world, then every NBA player wants to be like, oh, look at my little bro, or you know, you the man, or all this different stuff. Yeah, LeBron does that a lot. Yeah, LeBron does that. Um, when Derrick Rose went for 50 last night, guys went crazy. I was overwhelmed at the number, the volume of players being like, dude, this is awesome. And I, I don't, like, I know I, I can be kind of guilty of, like, always wanting to tell all sides of the story. And I think it's what, you know, made the radio show good at times where I'd be like, hey, I may feel this way, but think about this, this, and this. Okay. But, um, you know, the Derrick Rose thing has been complicated. I've been frustrated with him at times. I know Chicago was frustrated frustrated with him at times. I've, I felt like he flat out just didn't want to come back to the team when they thought he was clear and he was really freaked out about the injury and he had a bunch of bad quotes. But it just doesn't feel like now is the time to revisit all that stuff, even though I sort of just did. I think what you do is you focus on the positive part of this and go, this is a dude that, yeah, it was easy when he wasn't playing well to continue to beat up on him. If I'm doing a radio show being like, he wants to retire now, or like he's the Cleveland thing is just was so bad. Like he barely even played with them. And it, okay, so now what? Like he's just going to bounce. And then for him, and I don't know if he's back. You know, I read like Stephen A's quote where he was saying, I always knew he had this in him. I'm like, what? What, what were you watching? Like, what do you mean? Like, this is, I think the unlikeliness of the 50 point game for Derrick Rose is what makes it so special, and that he was brought to tears, and that he probably felt like himself again, and how hard that would be to be that good, that dominant, and then have, what, five, six years where it hasn't been anything close? So, I mean, it's most likely a blip, but he has been playing better. There's opportunity there with this debacle in Minnesota. The irony that he's back with Jimmy Butler after that's really what led to the divorce, because they couldn't coexist, and they sided with Butler. I mean, that's another oddity in itself, and I'm going to get to the Butler stuff here in a little bit. I was... You know, when somebody says, oh, he's he's our generation's Iverson, um, I don't know. But, I mean, look, if all these young players are that in love with him and think of him that way, then who am I to say that they're wrong? So, yes, I guess it was it was more than I expected, but it was great. Like, I'm not knocking any of it. I, I thought it was really cool the NBA community was so supportive. And I think this tells us, or maybe, look, I'll just speak for myself on this one. I think it tells us what guys think of Rose and... They love him more than I thought they did. Yeah, and I'm one of those guys who maybe unfairly, I was never like a huge D. Rose fan. And it was just not not for stuff the stuff on the court. It was kind of the post-injury stuff. And I just got tired of, like you said, a lot of the quotes that were just like, what is this guy? Does this guy get it? And maybe I didn't take you know into account like how devastating a lot of those injuries probably were. And I, I imagine that they absolutely were. Um, but so I, I felt weird last night feeling like emotions. Of, I was pumped for the guy. And I was like, where is this coming from? Like, why do I, why do I love that Derrick Rose just dropped 50 tonight. So I was kind of confused by it. But at the end of the day, like, I was I was really happy for him. And, um, you know, I, it's just seeing the, his teammates' reactions, like, they were so pumped. And they were pouring, you know, whatever, champagne on him last night. No, and I think like they won water. a title. Well, at least it was water. There you go. Close enough. But I, I was just, I don't know. I don't know where that came from out of me. So I think maybe that's what a lot of people felt like. Like, damn, it had been so long. It was kind of cool to see that again because you forgot how awesome this dude was. Yeah, and his, his handle. I mean, some of those plays that he had in traffic, and, and that was the thing is that you know, we always knew that the shooting was limited with him, but it was the explosive, and I'm talking 
you know, that that rare 1% of guy in the NBA that has, you know, it's the Westbrook stuff, right? Where Westbrook has a gear that looks different from other great NBA athletes. And every now and then when you see it, you, you just go, my God, like, look at that. And that's what Rose had. That's who he was. That's what his game was. And, you know, the shot was never, never, you know, who knows, I, you know, if it was going to develop and get better. It was probably always going to be a little bit of a weakness for him. And then there were times where I'd watch him with the Knicks and I'd go, okay, the numbers were all right, but I don't, I don't really know that he's impacting the game. And he doesn't, and he wasn't. Yeah. So now. Well, his game was kind of, I mean, he, he, he was kind of pre this whole three point craze. Thing. Yeah. Like, absolutely. So, so I'm not even sure if he, if he came up now, like he wouldn't be this, but he was in the. Well, he, if he's healthy, Derek Rose, to he, me, no, he's, he's, still be, he's he, always going to be. I mean, we're talking about him as a top five player, not just the MVP. But yeah, like, yeah. Hey, he'll know. be a five year guy that's going to be in the top five, like a franchise starting player. But back then, that was when, like, kind of ball dominance was still kind of in. I guess is that does that make sense? Yeah, Jalen Rose had some number where for Clay's fifty point game he had like fifty six dribbles, and for Rose's yeah. game it was six hundred dribbles, something like that. Two different but, ways, yeah, yeah. And and that none of this should be a knock. Like this should all be a positive. And there's there's plenty of negative to go in there, and I could do it over and over. But like if I were doing the radio show, I don't know, maybe if I did it the third time through, I would bring up some of the other stuff. But I do think that there are moments where you go, even if I don't love a dude, like I don't know that I was. I think I respect the hell out of Kobe. And I, you know, I always would get blamed because of, of being a Boston guy, but that's just, that's just not what it is. And I think there are times with Kobe where, uh, I think it's more me arguing with like the, the, the Kobe guy that's insane. Like the Kobe guy that doesn't even want LeBron there. But when Kobe went for a million in his last game and then people on TV shows and radio shows want to point out his inefficiency and his shooting percentage, I'm like, shut the bleep up. Like that night was for Lakers fans. That night was for Kobe fans. Who cares how many shots he took? Like in his last game, he put up a, you know, like like we could talk about efficiency over the years of Kobe, and you might be accurate in some of the dings on him, but that that wasn't the night to do it. That those shows were not like I don't know. I mean, everybody has to come up with something, and you got to try to stand out, maybe be different, memorable with your opinion. But I, I felt like with Rose today, just be pumped and and how celebrated he is. But I don't I don't know what it is because I don't know what the hell's going on with this team. Yeah, I I kind of look at it as a bad thing for the Timberwolves, though, right? I mean, like, now he thinks he's taking more, he's taking more shots per no. game than Wiggins is right now. Yeah, not not necessarily because of him, but because of because of Wiggins and Towns. Like I just I don't know. Like if D if they if they're relying on D Rose, and I know it's not an every night thing, but I don't know. I just think they have they have major problems. Like I I think I mean dudes are probably jumping off the Carl Anthony Towns bandwagon at this point. It's I. I because what was it? Was it last year, two years ago? That GM poll where they said they would take him over anybody in the league. Yeah, he was number one. It was last summer, uh, so it was 2017 summer. He pass. was the overwhelming choice to build your franchise around. Yeah, and it's hard to tell. Is it just the dysfunction of that organization, or is there something actually wrong with him as the player? I, I, I don't know. We love you when you're new, man. We love you when you're new. And then you start watching it play out. There's no doubting the skill thing. And to, to be one of those next guys, you have to have this – not just amazing skill set and efficiency and make your teammates better. You gotta at least be perceived as somebody that can that can be a killer. And you know, when Butler was doing all that stuff and coming back to practice and calling everybody soft, I didn't I didn't really have a hard time with that because I think those dudes are kind of soft. And I mean it's it's just it's nuts how quickly it can change. Because when you look at Wiggins and Towns, you go, Okay, look at them. They have the building blocks. That's what tanking is supposed to get you. And I know technically it was Kevin Love trade for the Wiggins thing. 
And now I'm, you know, are you even hearing that a little bit with Philadelphia with the Sixers where you go, okay, you'd want Simmons and you'd want Embiid and it, and it worked. And then you go, well, wait, are they really going to be? And look, I think Embiid's nuts. Like that's how good I, I, I watch that. There's some games with Simmons where it's not always evident how, you know, sometimes he's impacting the game without putting up numbers. And other times it looks like he's a little lost in there and it's hard to be, it's hard to be great, great, and I'm talking like top ten, top five, great when you can't really shoot. And this disastrous Fultz Simmons pairing has been terrible. And you know, I watched them lose the other night to Toronto. And one of the things, despite the great record for the Sixers last year, was that they had a hard time closing games. Like they were, they were kind of bad offensive decision makers. And Embiid getting the ball 25 feet away from the hoop and these up fakes into a drive, like they got to figure out a way to be better than that. Um, but I, the, the comp there is that you just go, oh, Wiggins Towns, Wiggins Towns, like this is incredible. And I wonder sometimes when I watch Philadelphia, you go, wait a minute, you know, because everything, everything that's new is then supposed to be the best. Like, okay, the Wiggins Towns, those guys been here ten years, and you know they're on the path. Yeah, yeah, or the trajectory. Year, yeah, or yeah the right. Trajectory a year later, yeah, right, or a year later, you're going, what the hell is up with them? Sorry, I, I just. No, like we always assume that like if they take a jump, then they're going to take an equal or more size jump the next year. Like that doesn't happen. Like that doesn't always happen. No, in the West Sometimes is tough. People peak. Like it happens. Like think about the West. I mean, the Lakers are a mess. They can't guard anybody. They they arguably you know could have lost that Dallas game that they almost blew um, on Wednesday night. But I mean, the Lakers have to make the playoffs, right? So Sacramento isn't good. Phoenix is bad after its opening win, and Aiton actually looks good. Um, so that's, I think that's just a couple weeks in, you go, Hey, this guy's going to be good. All right. We're, you know, we're all right. And I know Booker sat out, um, I think it was it last night and, yeah. but, but I still think that the West, instead of, you know, each conference, well, the East has had more than a handful, but usually the West, you had three or four teams you knew you could beat up on, you know, they might get you if you have a weird travel thing or you guys all went out the night before or back to back or something, but it's Dallas, Sacramento, Phoenix. You know, and everybody else is, I think, competitive. And even though, you know, I, I don't love this Lakers roster, I, they, they can't be this bad, right? Well, I mean, of, of those three teams that are struggling, the Rockets, Thunder, and the Lakers, like, are, are, I mean... I'm not even counting them yet, because there's no way the Rockets are this bad. There's no, no way the Thunder are this bad. There's no the, freaking way. I, well, I think the Rockets are the one I'm the least worried about. I think the Thunder would be the one I would be the most worried about. Well, Westbrook missed a couple games. That's fair. But Hawaii, still. Hawaii certainly missed some of this. No, that's cool. No, that's but when you look at those standings, you go, wait a minute, these three teams are supposed to replace three of these teams in the eight. Like where's where's that going? So actually a good connection here on the Butler thing, and you know, you guys, I try to be transparent, honest on, on all this stuff. I had heard about the Butler sitting out the game thing yesterday, and then that was followed up with, Okay, well, what's going on? Is Houston still in play here? And the first round picks from Houston, you know, there's not there's not a lot of love there because you just – you don't love to do that because every now and then, like when the Lakers did it for Steve Nash and then down the road, you know, one of those picks ended up being incredible. Um, so you don't necessarily want to do that stuff where you're, you're paying out first-round picks that far in the future if you're the Rockets. But if you think there's a chance none of them are going to be that valuable, then that might be Minnesota's holdup. And so I still wonder if Philadelphia – just hearing rumblings that Philadelphia would get get back into this thing because, you know, Philly probably feels like we need to add something to this group. The Fultz thing isn't going to work. You know, we need to we need to add the guy that we thought, you know, they keep saying they thought they were getting LeBron and they weren't. 
Um, and I can't emphasize it enough. When he doesn't show up to meet with you, it's probably a bad sign. Uh, <laughs> in free agency. Like, no, no, we were really though. close. Watch sports, come on. We almost got him. He didn't meet with you. Okay. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if Butler, you know, you know, another weird thing about the Butler thing is, is if Butler, like, can we agree that like Butler, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how hard I want to be on him here, but this sucks. Like the way he's handled it sucks. And, you know, I'll even read, you know, whether he does that thing where it's all calculated, he shows up to that practice, he goes nuts on everybody. And again, I even agree with some of the things that he said. And then he sits out. The last game was soreness. Jim Peterson, who's on the broadcast, started like laughing. Who's and by the way, Peterson's awesome. If you have league pass, you listen to all the games. He's terrific. He's one of my favorites, and he's just kind of laughing because he's around it. And he knows, and if he's doing that, and then the agent Bernie Lee, the agent for Butler, said, "Oh, you know, I think he tweeted out like, oh, Peterson's just trying to go viral by getting attention for this whole thing.' And we're like, or the guy that's been around the team for a long time knows this whole thing's a joke. So then uh, this is Jace Frederick who was talking with Bernie Lee about the entire day's development. So I'm reading this um, verbatim here. He goes, I asked Bernie Lee, the agent, if Butler's sitting out today as part of a push to get out of Minnesota. Lee's quote, I can only speak to the first part of your question as I am unaware of what you were referring to, the second part. (laughs) Okay. Jimmy's sitting tonight as part of a mutually agreed upon protocol of scheduled rest when appropriate. So Jimmy's job today is to get as much rest as he possibly can. His job on Monday was to do everything he possibly could to help Minnesota win a game. You've been around Jimmy for over a year now. Correct me if I am wrong, but I would think you've picked up by now that he's an extremely focused person, and the one thing that can never and never will, will be questioned about him is his commitment to doing his job. That's When you start talking like that, like I don't have a lot of patience for you. Okay, yeah. the act as if you don't understand what the second part of the 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 theory is is that okay sitting out today because now he wants to make this thing even more difficult and then he immediately has a message to Rachel Nichols and props to Rachel for having it but it's all calculated that he's like I'm sore you know and then he had mentioned something about not getting a lot of work in during the off season it's like well you're the dude that didn't want to show up to anything and I know he's getting over an injury there too but still and so to then suggest that a, a reporter isn't smart enough. Because he he hasn't understood what Jimmy Jimmy's sole focus isn't winning games, it's to get out of there, it's to get out of there, and that's it. So I mean the agent, the agent has one job, and it's always to do the best thing for the client. But I also can read this, sift through all the BS, and decide that I don't like the quote. And there were some other quotes that he had, like he was he was kind of going on on a tear about it, and I just I don't know. Like here's another quote from Lee. Um, asked if Butler's still on the roster, if he would go on the, uh, if Butler's still on the roster, will he play on the road trip? Lee quote again. I am unsure what you were referring to, big picture wise, but Jimmy's approach this year has been to approach every day as a singular event and deal with what is appropriate within that day. And I think his actions have displayed that. No, like it goes on and on, and you just go, dude, your guy wants out. You want your guy out. He's going nuclear, and that's what everybody like. We all know what's happening here. Um, some people had brought up, like, why do the T-Wolves have to keep putting up with this? The CBA for the NBA, is, I think the NFL could take a page from this. Because there's a few different things that happens. And this is Article 11, and I'm reading for um, from the ringers, Dan Devine, who did a good piece on this, where he says, in the CBA, um, any player who, quote, withholds playing services called for by a player contract for more than 30 days after the start of the season 
covered by his contract shall be deemed to not have completed his player contract by rendering the playing services called for there under. Sorry. So basically, if you don't complete your current contract, you can't get a new one. So you know how in the NFL with Le'Veon Bell, it's like, okay, I need to come back week 11, and then it's an accrued season towards free agency. The NBA has this thing that if you bounce for more than 30 games and the game checks that you can be fine, so Butler would be missing like 130000 a game. So he doesn't want to just not show up because he needs the year to count towards free agency. And it's pretty strict. And it's actually brilliant. Because that's the thing. If you're negotiating these things and you're talking about a player base of 450-plus players, most of those players are never going to be in the situation, probably 99% of them, even though a lot of the CBA agreements, I think, seem to protect the the, the rarest of players, which maybe is the whole point. Um, but, uh, you know, that whole... That whole thing, um, going back to like contracts and you look at like who gets taken care of and who's, who's protected on some of the stuff. It always feels like the guys at the very, very top. And this is something where, I mean, who would fight for it? Like if you were a mid-level guy, like why would you fight for more rights for guys that are potentially going to hold out when you're never going to hold out? So I don't know what's going to happen with the Jimmy thing. I think all of us from the outside always do this thing where you go, oh, it's untenable. You have to get rid of him. You have to move on. You can't do this anymore. And I don't know. I, I would have a really hard time just giving a player away and giving him his way, rewarding him for being extremely difficult. And I do think that, you know, I would need more info for what Jimmy Butler wants because all the info that he feels like he's being wronged, uh, it's not strong enough for me to take his side. So a guy that I've loved, his story playing, thought it was a great pick by the Bull, all that stuff, I'm having a hard time with him now, and I don't know what's going to happen. I do want to clean up a couple other things, too, that I had talked about uh, with the NBA Tip Pod two weeks ago because I've been asked about it a few times, and it, and it made the rounds. And if, if you're if you're pro-Lakers, you don't think I know what I'm talking about. Um, and then I know Simmons brought it up, too, on one of his NBA podcasts. But just kind of like the future of, of where – these players could be going and if LeBron can find any of these guys to go play with them. Cause the Jimmy thing's funny. Cause a lot of people are like, why don't the Lakers just do this and get them out of there? You can get them cheap. I, I don't know if those guys want to play together. I really, I really I haven't gotten anything that tells me, Oh no, they're actually really cool. And they'd love to play with each other. I don't, I don't, um, I don't hear that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't hear it. The clay stuff is picking up more momentum as far as like his future. I don't think he's going anywhere. I, if I had a bet today, again, it's November 1st, I would say that he's staying stuff like this can change. The Durant articles for New York are constant now, especially with them back there playing. Uh, I think that there's a real chance that there's, like, I feel like the Durant stuff this past summer, I never thought he was going to leave Golden State, um, even though some people wondered, you know, would he just decide to go down to L.A. and team up with LeBron now? I don't think he would go team up with LeBron, but I, I do think the Knicks thing is a threat, and I think that's how they're preparing. So we'll kind of see what happens with that. Um, but I don't know. Would you... Like, if you're Philly, would you trade for Butler going, well, what if he's not happy here either, and we've got these two younger, I don't know how impressionable the rest of the roster is. I mean, Simmons actually doesn't seem super impressionable. I think Embiid could probably tell most guys to, you know, just bleep off if he wanted to. But what if Butler gets there and is like, ah, Simmons isn't as good, and I want the ball more, and he has to play off the ball, which is kind of a disaster, and then, you know, Embiid's not getting as many touches? I think from a basketball standpoint, it helped their 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 problems late-game closing. So I never I try not to worry too much about, oh, there's not enough balls to go around, you know, that kind of thing, even though it's looked like that with Boston for a little bit here to start. But 
it's not even a basketball question. It's contract question because of how big the numbers get on Butler's deal. But I think it's a real conversation you have to have if you're Philadelphia where you go, okay, wait a minute. We can trade for him, but do we want to? Do we want to invite that in here when we know what the deal is? I just think you have to get the talent, like especially yeah. if you're them. And, and you look at Boston, you don't think you're as good as Boston. And I, I would just have to roll the dice. And honestly, if, if Butler did that again, it forces way out of somewhere again. Like, I don't think it's going to be. No one's going to be blaming the Sixers for that. You know what I mean? I feel like that's like okay, this is a Butler problem. Like clearly, this guy just can't be happy anywhere. And I would do it. I mean, if I know you just said that you don't think that he and LeBron, or you don't know if he and LeBron want to play together, but like, who are these options? I guess Anthony Davis is that guy, but like, who are these other options that, that are going to go play with LeBron? Yeah, and that's that's why there's there's been pushback to my theory, and this isn't a theory as much as it's an educated theory, and that you just don't hear as many guys going to come save the day for LeBron in L.A., but if one person goes there, then it'll seem as if I was just wrong about it. And I'm, and I'm not. Look, I'm telling you, like these conversations are being had and they're out there. I think the Lillard one is one to pay attention to if they have a disappointing season, and I don't think it'll be Olshay wanting to move on from Lillard unless something really presented it. But he could be kind of the, if he wanted to be, Lillard hasn't done this yet, and he could have done it and try to force his way to the Lakers and say, you know what, I'm not coming back. I don't want to do this and all this stuff. But, you know, he's still under contract for a little bit. Um, let me double-check what that is because I don't I don't want to get that wrong for the people. Um, you know, would, would the Trailblazers have a season that was so disappointing that he says, okay, screw it, I'm coming down there? So then it'll seem like, hey, wait a minute, Priscilla, I thought you were telling me, you know, guys don't want to go down there and play. Uh, the Davis one... Now, it's going to be up to him. It's going to be up to him after this year to decide he's out. Uh, Lillard has he has two more years under contract. So that could be one of those things where, you know, Portland would say if they don't want to trade him and they, they feel like Zach Collins or something, you know, developing, and they go, we want to keep this thing together. Like, I just, I don't like when teams that have good players don't win enough and then everybody just wants to break them up all the time. Like, the whole point is to try to have a backcourt like McCollum and Lillard or, or, or a pairing like that. And just because it's not working to the – expectations of everybody else doesn't mean you as the GM have to move it on. But if Lillard says I'm out, but then again, he has two years left in the deal. So that would be, that would be tougher. It it was going to be impossible for him to do it and be like, Hey, (laughs) trailblazers, I don't want to come back in 2018. Like, okay, well you have three years left in your deal. I mean, Jimmy at least has one. So that's why even if Lillard wanted to do something like that, I don't know that he'd want to, I think LeBron, well, I'll just say this. I know LeBron wants to play with him. Um, you know, that's that's tougher when you're not just a year out. That's when you have that leverage. That's where you can start doing this stuff. It's kind of like with Paul George, you know. So, uh, there you go. Should I do my WNBA segment? Whoa. Uh, I know. <laughs> Hard turn. Um, <laughs> I've, I've actually been researching. I, I, if you're all in, I'm all in. Well, I'm going to do it because it's, it's, it's been newsy for about, well, I don't know, a week and a half. Two weeks. So when the G League announced the $125,000 slotted contract for somebody that wants to forgo college, the WNBA got really upset. WNBA players are tweeting about it, like, this is ridiculous, this is more than us. Um, and there's been a lot of coverage of the WNBA salary split with how their CBA works, and they're about 20%. This is not going to be a popular segment, okay? It's not going to be a popular segment, and if somebody does, like, a splicing of it, uh, you know, people are going to come after me, but I think everybody that knows me knows that when I when I see stuff, I almost don't believe anything I read anymore. So I, I'm lucky enough to be able to start calling around and be like, what's really going on? 
And I think with a push for, you know, I, I don't, as bad as it is, and like I have so many female friends that work in sports, and I see some of the stuff they deal with, and I go, you know, the great thing about being, I mean, this sucks, and it's, yeah, I'm going to go a little deeper here, but when somebody doesn't like me, it's because they don't like me, right? They don't like my opinions they don't like my personality oh he's a jerk he's a know-it-all he's, you know I, like i know what the negative things are like when somebody says i don't really like you okay um i've even had managers go you know i don't really know i don't really know if i like you on the air you know and you just go okay that's fine but it's always specific to me but what happens if you're female or you're a person of color it then becomes oh this this woman on sports she's terrible and you're like oh that sucks. Or, you know, it becomes, it'll be become about that person's gender or their race. Whereas I just, hey, I think Rosillo sucks. <laughs> and then and that's it. And on, on the other side, like if I don't like, um, you know, when I did that stupid tweet about Pam from The Office because she's terrible. Binge watch it. I'm telling you, you're going to agree with me. I had a couple people say, oh, you know, you can't handle a strong female character. I'm like, wait a minute. What? Like, why can't I just not like her? I don't like her. I don't like her character. Some women I like, some I don't. It's, you know, if you're doing something, like if somebody, um, you know, I, I don't want to, because, I, you know, I'm trying to think. Like if Stephen A. Smith said something that he that I didn't like, I already said something earlier today. Like I disagreed with this Derek Rose thing about, like, there, there's always this game in him. Like some might say, oh, you, you just don't like Stephen A. because he, he's a black man with a strong opinion. I'm like, no, that's, I like Stephen A.'s opinions on other stuff. Some I don't, and that's pretty much it. So if I do a WNBA thing and I'm not 100% behind them and questioning some of their observations about the collective bargaining agreement, it then turns it out, Rosillo just, you know, he's, he doesn't like the I don't care about the WNBA enough to dislike it, to be honest with you. And I don't mean that as like a guy, you know, when the women's soccer team was playing in, I, I don't remember in the World Cup a couple years ago, I tweeted about something about baseball and... Um, there was a ton of reaction of like, how could you not be watching the women's national team? And I was like, I wouldn't be watching the men's national team. Like, I just want to watch the Red Sox Blue Jays tonight. That's it, you know? So um, I remember reading an article about the Brazil Olympics, and there was this guy who was either like an archer or a sharpshooter, and ESPN Magazine did this whole feature. I think they did it on him. I forget, but I read it. And... The guy was like, yeah, you know, post the Olympics, all these facilities have been left to rot. And, you know, it's one of those other Olympic scams that all these countries seem to run where they, they like anybody visit Sochi lately. You know, we keep we keep putting these these Olympics in places that try to kind of fake it to host it as if some sort of prideful thing. And then the economy is left in ruins and no one keeps up any of these facilities. So this guy in this article was complaining that he had dedicated his life to the Brazilian summer games, and now he had nothing to show for it except for like a silver medal. And I was, I kind of read it, was like, all right, that kind of sucks. But at the same time, like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, what, what did you, like, how did you think the rest of your life was going to go in a sport that most people just don't, don't care about? Whenever there's college football players that do that deal, you know, five or six years after they bounce from college and it doesn't go the way they thought it was going to go right they're a four or five star they go to college they think they're going to be an nfl player first round pick all that stuff because all those dudes do and then you know they transfer they don't get their degree 
and then they go on real sports and they talk about how jaded they are from by the whole thing and it's it's the system's fault and the NCAA, and the NCAA can be blamed for tons of stuff. You know what they shouldn't be blamed for is you not picking the right classes. You know, like at some point in college, you have to figure out. And I know everybody wants their hand held, but I screwed up. I picked the wrong classes, and I had to figure it out. You know, and I didn't have a team that cared whether or not I was eligible academically. I had to figure it out. I had to go, hey, Ryan, your approach right now is not working. It's the wrong approach. You smarten up. And luckily, I, you know, at a time when I never thought I was going to graduate, I was able to do it. So I, I look at some of these stories that everybody gets really sympathetic about and go, oh, you know, that's terrible. The poor Brazilian archer. And, um, you know, how, how could this happen? And you go, okay, well, what's the reality? What were the opportunities there going to be for him? What are the reality? What's the, what's the reality of, of somebody that goes to college and then wants to blame everybody else for it not working out for him? Like, who's really to blame there? And, yeah, there's some things that can be fixed. Like, I was just reading about the rookie transition period and how they deal with NFL players and all this advice and all these different seminars they have. Like, that stuff's incredible. I'd like to sign up for that now. I'm not even a rookie anymore. So when I read the WNBA um, news and it was happening after that G League thing, it was, oh, you know, this is ridiculous. The WNBA, we don't get paid. They get about a 20%, based on what I've been able to read and, and acquire information-wise, about a 20% split. And that just sounds as a headline, women get a 20-80 split and the men get 50-50. That sounds terrible. But is it kind of what it should be? I'm serious here. So I started asking around. For 22 years, the WNBA has been in existence. It's, it's lost money every single year. I read an article this morning, 2017, Dolan, Nick's owner. I know no one likes him. He's been trying to sell the team forever. They can't find an owner. He's like, I'm just losing money on this thing. Of the 12 teams, I think there's six owners that own an NBA team and a WNBA team, and the NBA kicks in for the money to keep this thing afloat. And so you got 24 owners that have nothing to do with the WNBA kicking in money for six guys to do it. Almost every sponsorship dollar brought in by the WNBA is rolled into some sort of joint promotion with the NBA. Uh, the attendance is terrible. Adam Silver went on Get Up, and I don't know why Get Up second question when they had the commissioner of the NBA in for the NBA playoffs. They asked one NBA question, and the second one was about pay disparity with the WNBA. That's that's a bad use to have the commissioner around, in my opinion. And then he flat out said attendance isn't good, and it's getting worse. Uh, the ratings are up. Here's the sneaky thing about the WNBA is if you gave yourself a chance and said, you know, maybe I'll watch this instead of just never even giving it a chance, you're going to like it more than I think you would think you would. Because this story, the storylines from this past playoff season in these games, they were really good. They were. They were fun. They were entertaining. It was good stuff. But as much as I don't believe the books when the NBA claims, oh, we're all losing money, we're losing money, and you can say, well, Ryan, why aren't you applying the same disbelief to the WNBA? Even if the NBA teams in a year are losing money on the books, I know that the appreciation of the franchise values are such that you're going to make money on the sale, and that's why... No one ever complains about buying any of these teams, and it only seems like they make money. Where the WNBA, they have a hard time finding the 12 owners. You know, half the original teams are around. They've moved these things around a lot. Um, I've heard the players from the WNBA complain about not being marketed correctly. Maybe that is a solution. Maybe that can actually happen. But I also hear that about baseball, and I've mentioned this plenty of other times. Every sport, and it happens in my industry, every guy that hosts a show that doesn't work out tells you, ah, they just didn't promote it enough. Um, the jersey sales things. I've read from WNBA players saying that they don't make any money off the jerseys. I, I've, I've asked people about it, and they say that's actually not true. So I don't know what's to believe there. One player made a great point. It was like, these jerseys aren't great. They have a huge ad on them, but it works for soccer, but it doesn't work for the WNBA. 
when the MLS first started, the CBA and the the split for players, and I don't have it down to the number anymore, but I remember digging through all that stuff, and you know it was really, really heavily favored to the owner. And I remember asking a guy that worked in management of the MLS, I said, you know, is that necessary? Like these contracts? And he goes, we had to do this to make this league stable, solvent, and then for it to grow. Well, you could apply that same thing to the WNBA and go, why after 22 years is this still happening? Well, the WNBA franchises aren't as popular as what you have now with MLS. MLS franchises are more valuable. They've grown the sport. We know it isn't the greatest soccer out there, but you start going to some of these games, they're building a real thing here. And I don't know if the WNBA, unfortunately, is building that same thing. So if you want a 50-50 split, I don't think you're going to have a league. And I think the WNBA, though, is smart to get all this stuff out there because I think public sentiment has constantly been with them in the times that we have where people are more aware of diversity, not just with race, but with gender in sports. You know, as I'd mentioned on the top of this whole thing, how appalled I can be at times seeing what my female friends deal with. Uh, I also think that right now it's never really been better for women in at least my industry because of the opportunities. The opportunities that women are getting now are, are beyond anything that we've ever seen before, and that part should be celebrated. And ESPN deserves a ton of credit for that because they have uh, they've made it a priority the last few years. And you know, I know people probably like to make John Skipper jokes left and right, but the guy it mattered to him, and and he put women in seats that. Uh, it never happened. Never happened before. It may not have happened had it not been for him. And, that, and NBA broadcasts and all sorts of broadcasts. You're like, man, this is this is incredible. But back to the actual league itself, like it makes me sound like I'm some jerk by pointing these things out. I, maybe to some people, but in reality, like I would want to know the truth. So that's why I dug into this thing more and more. Um, as far as the contracts for the G League guys, and I, I think one player tweeted out, like, can I go trial for the G League? Yeah, actually, you can. You can go ahead. Try out for the Red Claws. And that G League contract for the guy that doesn't want to go to college, that's really the NBA investing in a potential NBA guy down the road. So when WNBA players complain about refs making more or the 12th man making more than them and that we just want 50-50 and we want what's fair, I don't know if 2080 is fair. I know it sounds unfair because we have this kind of inherent thing where 50-50 just sounds right all the time. But I wonder... And they would never say this, but I wonder, I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't know enough about the books and all that to say that, that, hey, I know what the perfect split is. I know what's fair. But public sentiment is going to be behind the WNBA, and they're probably going to win back some chunk of this, I would think. But here's the NBA, what they think is doing the right thing and having something, you know, I have sisters that played high school basketball, you know, not that they were ever going to be good enough to play like big time college or play in the WNBA, but... You know, to think that it would never be, like, to not have a women's league that's a professional basketball league, like, that'd be terrible. So the NBA feels like they've done something for two decades, but yet then they have to read about how terrible the setup is, and they get trashed for it. And I wonder if there's ever a moment where they go, hey, how about we just do this? How about we just stop doing it then? Because some of these arguments are charity arguments. It's not about equality. It's, it's... I don't know if, if these like do people out there, do people think that the WNBA is actually making all this money and they're hiding it all? Well, if you think that's the case, then the opt out has happened and you can have 10, 12 business people start their own women's league professionally. If there's all this hidden money, then somebody else can go start a league and you guys can crush it apparently and make a ton of profit. 
And another point that was relayed to me that I thought was really smart and interesting is that with some of the frustrations back-to-back travel and all this stuff, and I'm sure that there'll be arguments to be made, like even if it's a loss, like how about this argument? Well, it's a loss, so it's a tax write-off for you guys, so it's good. It's like, well, okay, then you just you just agreed with us that this is a loss, and we're supposed to take even more of a loss? Like that's not going to happen. But some of these women were so great in college and played at these just terrific programs where Title IX, and it was about equality, that the WNBA can be seen as a step back because you are comparing yourselves to the NBA, which I think is a waste of time, but strategically right publicly. But the way you're taking care of the flights and that whole deal, it actually may be a step down from what you were getting when you were one of the top programs. So it's just something to think about. And I would want, if I were going to start sitting out there like retweeting, like, yeah, 50-50, 50-50, I'd want to know more about it. Because if, yeah, again, if they're hiding all this money and it's this huge profitable thing, how come when the teams are for sale, they have a hard time and now with, with the Liberty, and there's an article I was reading for 2017, they haven't been able to sell the team. The NBA teams, they usually sell pretty quickly. Let me know what you think. Subscribe to the Ryan Rosillo podcast here with Saruti. Um, we need a magic minute, magic five minutes from you next week. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say because I, I was a little bit out of the loop, but I did I did catch a little bit of the Celtics, uh, the, the win over the Celtics, and I was pretty excited about I that. I was there for it. Mobile. Oh, that's right. That's right. How, how'd they look? I mean, Bamba's, I mean, he's quietly getting me a little excited. Like, he could shoot a little Isaac bit. Isaac was insane in that game. I love Isaac. I, I think he just had kind of an injury-riddled first season. I, I, I like what he can potentially become. I just, a little, I'm a little bit, the point guard situation is a disaster. Um, and I think they should try to make a trade and figure something out there. But um, and I'm a little bit worried about Aaron Gordon. He's just so hot and cold sometimes. But um, but I think that might be Aaron Gordon. I know that's and that's kind of what (laughs) I'm worried about is that he's just never going to be the guy. Uh, I don't know, but there is reason to be excited. I uh, I was bummed. I thought, oh man, this has been a great little another present for Saruti because I ended up making up to game one of the World Series, but uh. Yeah, I, the whole time I'm like, one of the Celtics going to win this game? And then they lost it. Okay, I, I don't want to do too much more because I don't want to make it too long here. And uh, I know there's going to be a lot of people going, wait a minute, you just did a 15-minute WNBA thing? Uh, yeah, I did. What's up? <laughs>